You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello and welcome to episode 191 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on the amazing hero and feminist icon, Dana Scully. I'm Christina Bieber Lake, and with me today are Marie House and Lori Norris. Say hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, so what we usually do is just for people who are new to the program, have everyone introduce themselves. So, uh, Marie, why don't you start out? Thanks. Yeah, I'm Marie Haas, a regular panelist on the show. I have a literature PhD and an MDiv with a certificate in women's gender and sexuality studies. And I'm currently uh, living in Connecticut with my family, my husband, one of my siblings, and my three small boys. Uh, So that takes up most of my time taking care of those three little guys. Indeed. How about you, Lori? Well, I live um, very far down south from from Marie in in Athens, Georgia, and I spend all of my time obsessing about my my rescue cat Lando. She's in the room, so um, if you hear some really suspicious noises, I promise it's not a ghost. It's just a very small tortoiseshell um, beast. You know, I think I've said this before on on the show, but I love the name Lando for the cat. <laughs> She's she so I've got this theory that cat should only be named after like pe- famous people with your last name and my last name's Norris, right? Because no matter what you name your pet, you take them to the vet and they will assign your last name to their That's file. That's true. Right? So yeah. um when I got when I got Lando, her name was originally Summer. Um but uh I named her after Lando Norris, the race car driver, who is tiny and adorable, and she is tiny and adorable. Oh, so she's Lando Norrisian. Oh, that is great! <laughs> <laughs> so funny on so many levels. All right, well, we're excited to the three of us to be together because Dana Scully doesn't need any introduction for listeners of the show, most likely. But just in case there are any Gen Z people out there wondering if they should bother to watch the X Files, I will go ahead and briefly introduce her as a character. And it just occurred to me today that this fall is the 30th anniversary of the show. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 30 years, and that makes me feel old, as we'll uh, uncover in just a moment. Since I'm (laughs) Gen X, and I was, you know, I'm I'm the exact same age as Jillian Anderson. Actually, we were born in the same year, so that is a is an interesting thing. But Scully, who um, Jillian Anderson plays, uh, is the no nonsense, medically trained FBI officer who gets assigned to work with Fox Mulder played by David Duchovny, and everybody knows him as Spooky Mulder because he digs up old cases that contain unexplained phenomena and investigates them, and he's kind of on the the outs with the FBI and not treated very seriously, 
um, until, uh, you know, um, Dana Scully gets assigned to him. So he is famously, and the, the two of them, the way they work together, the one who is inclined to believe the unbelievable, the opposite of the Occam's razor kind of explanation, where Scully is the logical and rational voice of the show. And uh, of it, Gillian Anderson said that she lied about her age to audition. She said she was 27 when really she was 24. Because she said, for the first time in a long time, the script involved a strong, independent, intelligent woman as a lead character. And I think that is that is definitely true. And that is why we are here talking about it. So um, let's talk about what Scully means to us. Who would like to start us out? Um, I'll go. If, if you don't mind. Uh, go ahead. So... We rewatched the the pilot episode in in preparation for this because, like, the idea of rewatching the entire series is attractive. But um, like, <laughs> who has the time for that, right? So rewatching it, I was transported back to Friday nights in 1993 when a 13 year old Laurie, you know, who was super cool, um, had nothing else to do, and was watching this when it first aired and. Oh my gosh, 43-year-old Laurie, yeah, I just did that math, um, is... <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Is, is, is like, transported. Like, the, it, I, Mulder's much more of a dork now to me as an adult. Oh, totally. Um, totally. Right? But Scully is still so... Great, and I appreciate you pointing out that um, she has to lie about her age because watching the episode, I was like, you, there is no way that you have been through college medical and medical school. school and the introductory stages of an FBI agent's training in order right. to be, yeah, you're, you're, you're 12, ma'am. You are yeah. my age. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, apparently this show imprinted on my soul and not just in the way that it shows up in every aspect of my work life because my um, handle, my my email address has a 1013 in it. And yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What about you? Oh, well, this was such a nostalgic experience for me, too, going back to this show, because I first watched The X-Files when I was in, I guess it was my early teens, and I was growing up in Bolivia, and mostly I watched things that we had on VHS tapes, and we had a lot of X-Files episodes, not in any order, taped off the TV on these VHS tapes labeled with my grandmother's handwriting, and I used to like secretly watch some episodes by myself whenever I stayed home from church to take care of my <laughs> infant brother. So it was this sort of scary secret time. <laughs> and then I later watched a lot of it with my siblings too. So streaming episodes instead of watching them on VHS was like a very nostalgic thing. You know, when that, that opening sequence plays, it's like, yep, that's the sound uh, of from when I was growing up. That <laughs> yeah, that's the soundtrack of that time of your life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was for me too, but the time of my life was a good deal later. I just realized I, I had not introduced myself. I'm 
I uh, work at Wheaton College where I have been 25 years at Wheaton College. So I was in 1993 and I got transported back to 1993 as well, immediately to Friday nights where I was teaching high school. I had uh, just gotten out of college uh, in uh, 1990. So I was teaching high school and I'm the same age as uh, Jillian Anderson. And I didn't realize it at the time because I bought it that she was older. So I always thought <laughs> older than me. And I, high school teaching was not the right job for me. And as a result, when I'm, what, I'm 24, 25 years old, and on Friday night, I, I'm too exhausted to go out. So what am I doing? I'm watching Dana Scully, you know, on the X-Files. Uh, and I remember being just absolutely astonished, like, in my, just my whole being to see, first of all, a character who was intelligent and uh, highly educated and not afraid to speak out of her expertise, but also wearing glasses. That, I mean, I, they, they removed the glasses later on more and more, but those first few episodes, she's got on the glasses. Not all the time, but <laughs> to me, I was just like, oh my gosh, there's a woman on a computer wearing glasses. <laughs> and, and it's like she's like such an important figure in the show and so it really meant a lot to me and I, and I, I think that the Scully effect and all the things that we're going to talk about makes it very clear that for me especially for me being that age um, I was like I should go into the FBI <laughs> so it, was, it was like it suddenly made me realize how important I mean I've known this for a long time but when you're a young woman you don't think about it the same way how important representation is yeah you know it's like yeah, a, you, exactly. you just go like that is actually possible for people you could do that and be respected you know and that just blew my mind yeah it's it's seeing someone not compromising themselves like the line yes. um, towards the beginning uh, of the episode where she's talking about like probably having disappointed her parents by not practicing medicine, but she felt this urge, you know, like she's following what it is that her gut tells her to do. And she's like, oh, I mm -hmm. want that for myself. Mm -hmm. And she said something like it would help me make a difference. Like I would I would I feel like I could make a difference or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, like, adult Laurie is now, like, grappling with the propaganda of of it all, um, but... Oh, you mean the FBI propaganda? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, I, I do a lot of mental gymnastics to be like, well, they're in the basement. They're disrespected by everybody. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> um, they're not real cops, but, like... <laughs> Right. Mulder walks all over everyone and he breaks so many laws and it's just like ah Oh but, yeah, he and he's so yeah. bossy too. He's... That was one thing that surprised me about the pilot. Yeah. Because you remember him later being a little bit chastened, you know, even yeah. by Scully, like he develops as a character too. But that first episode, I was like, Man, dude, who do you think you're bossing around here? You know? What a pompous dork. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> like he thinks he's super, su super suave, super cool, and then Scully walks in, and you're like, "Ah, dude, come on, you, you got no game compared to her." One thing that I, I noticed and that really struck me and hadn't occurred to me is, uh, for I guess since 1993, 
is Scully is the protagonist. The way the pilot episode introduces her, it's it's all focalized through her, and she is the audience surrogate, not Mulder. Like, I yes. always thought of him as the hero immediately, but he's not. She is. That's right. He's not. She is. She is what the show is about. And of course, that's why part of the reason oh. why when she discovered, I can't remember what year it was, that she was getting paid less per episode than he was. Yeah. It's just absolutely outrageous because she is the center of the show, you know, uh, and, and yet because he's the guy, because, you know, do you remember, y'all remember that song, you know, um, David Duchovny, Why Don't You Love Me? And, <laughs> you know, he, he, he became this kind of like, improbable heartthrob, you know, and I, I followed him a little bit more than I would have normally. Um, I mean, David Duchovny, because he was a Princeton grad just a few years ahead of me, I, he wasn't, I wasn't able to have met him because he was just a little bit older, but so I was always interested. And then it just got really weird with him. Like he was like the sex addict and stuff later. I don't know. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever like followed Jillian Anderson. I have off and on. She's really weird. Like she's super like she's super ditzy. I remember the very first time I saw her after I'd been watching the X-Files like four or five years. And, you know, so I really hadn't seen her in any interviews. You know, I didn't even have a VCR. Right. Okay. It was like. What a ditz. <laughs> you know, is what, is what I remember thinking. But she plays someone smart so well, you know, because she's a good actor. And she also has very polished diction because she was raised, um, you know, in England and then actually grew up, get a load of this y'all in Grand Rapids, Michigan, like from age 11. So really weird. Like, and she was always voted by like her high school as like the weirdest one, you know, like the, the, just, she just had a kind of a weird streak, kind of a punk streak, uh, to her. Um, that kind of explains some of the the acting choices she's made, like more much more recently, like the fall, the fall. and Hannibal. Yep. Yeah, the fall and Hannibal actually, in some ways, fit her personality as Gillian Anderson um, more than Dana Scully does. You know, so yeah, and, and especially because I follow her on Instagram. I don't know why. I just. Um, just in, I, you know, when you follow somebody who's your exact age, right? Like, how are they doing? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what do they look like? They don't have any problems gaining weight like I do. What the, f- you know, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but she is just like also into this just weird sex stuff. Like she's got her own drink called G Spot, and it says she shows pictures of all these phalluses and stuff. It's just weird. Is it not an advertisement for... Wait, is she the mom in Sex Education? I don't know that film. Or am I confusing? Because I don't have Netflix. Um, so I, I... How I can you not have Netflix? Refuse to pay for Oh, I refuse to pay for uh, it. And, and it kicked me off my former roommate's account. I see. <laughs> they, don't have, they, don't, they don't have live European soccer, so I'm not giving them my money. Oh, that's good. I get that. I only do it because I have yeah. T-Mobile and we have, you know, account with... A family account, yeah. Oh, free stuff. Yeah. Well, like she's so. Gillian Anderson and I, I was almost like started talking about Scully as if she was the actor. Um, Gillian Anderson makes really strange choices. Like 
they seem strange choices now because I think so many of us, particularly women of a certain age, have Scully yeah. burned into yeah. our consciousness. She is Scully to us. Yeah. 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 And, and more so than I think really any other actor, at least for me, like associated with a long-term role, um, it, she's, she's Scully. She's yeah. not, she's not a human. She's yeah. Scully. She's, she's not an individual. She's Scully. Um, yeah. So like the first time I ever saw her in something different, I was like, whoa, that's why is Scully in this movie? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> because Scully isn't real. And I'm having a flashback. Um, yeah. And yeah. The, so I think she's important. Yeah, being a TV actor too. <laughs> and having this a show that runs that long, you definitely yeah. become associated with that part. So, yeah, for sure. Speaking of, um, I, there's, I, I, I got to get it out of my system right now. Address the elephant in my room. The revival sucked. Yes, it oh, did. Yeah, I unfortunately watched that this summer. And yeah. Yeah. It was so I was really disappointed, too, because, you know, I was, um, I was disappointed about how the end of the season with the kind of the films that were kind of trying to wove into the end of the season nine. I think that's right. It's like the 10th season. That was a revival. Is that right? Or is it the 11th? Math is not my strong suit. Okay. The 10th and the 11th were the revivals. Okay. And that was like 2018 if somewhere in there, right? Like really pretty late. Okay. Yeah. So I was so disappointed by the end of the original season, like with the movie tie-ins and stuff, because it's like, okay, they've uncovered this conspiracy. And then, and then. <laughs> it's just like, it just seemed to go nowhere. I was so disappointed by that, that I almost didn't watch the revival, you know, cause I had, you know, uh, that's understandable. Was, but did you guys have the same experience just from disappointment with the X-Files and kind of destroying the mythology and not following it, not developing it well? I think they needed to stop the show a lot sooner than yeah. they did. Um, uh, because, like, Chris Carter clearly had a plan and then they just kept renewing the series. And it's like, oh, farts. What do we do now? Yeah. Well... Let's make Cancer Man a positive character yeah. for a minute. Yeah, you know, you're right. And that, isn't that disappointing when a show that's really good and they have a clear sense of a story arc abandons that just so that they can extend the season, you know? Yeah. That, that, that's just yeah. disappointing. So. Yeah. Well, mm. And yet Scully still comes out pretty yes. clean as a character. That's true. So yeah. So what else do you what what else does she mean to you? Or, or did you think about the pilot? What else do you think about uh, you guys? Think about I, Scully. I guess with, with uh, rewatching it this time, the scene that stood out most to me was the um, the scene where she goes to Mulder, being scared that she might have markings from an alien abduction, and yes. have just the immediate emotional intimacy of this iconic pair which is great, but then we also have 
uh, you know, Scully in her underwear in the first episode, and you yes. understand why that's happening. And it's not like I don't like to see it, but it's also like it makes me sort of groan that it's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, that you know. stuck out to me as well. It seemed like very much like, okay, let's show a little skin yeah. for this beautiful woman. Even though, do you realize that Chris Carter wanted her, definitely wanted her. But a lot of the other people on the show did not because she did get get a load of this, did not have enough sex appeal. That's ridiculous. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. I happen to think I have, I, that she is one yeah, of the most classically beautiful women that I've ever seen. I, I just, I don't know what, it, just her look seems to me like a classically beautiful look. Like, I am a giant zero on the Kenzie scale. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Every single, every single lesbian, bisexual, pansexual woman, non-binary person I have ever met has been like, no, Dana Scully can get it. Well, so, like, speaking as a bisexual woman, I would say that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the idea that she's not she's not sexy enough is just hog swallow. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I, what I am disappointed to have that being, you know put there in the first episode as like part of the appeal of her character as part of her initial characterization. It sort of seems to be setting up this kind of tension or vacillation between Scully as this empowered agent and also sometimes as an object or victim that we get sort of playing uh, at play throughout the whole series. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I also just feel like it was, you know how HBO, just whatever series they do, they have to start with a lot of flesh, and then they can do other things, you know? It's it's almost like they have to set up a certain amount of sexual tension, or just in the HBO case, which my husband calls home boob office, they have to have, like, so many of the first episodes just be, like, outright kind of sex scenes, or, you know, naked women, or whatever, Sex position. Sex, yes, right? And for I, the, the best example that I can think of is the uh, series Sex and the City, you know, which I was also mm-hmm. the age of those characters when that show started, which, and I couldn't stop watching that show because I'm like, oh, these are professional women, you know, who are, who are not married, who, you know, and it was very appealing to me to follow their antics. But I was so annoyed that they had to center a show which is ultimately about female friendship around sex. You know, I mean, because I don't know if you've guys seen Sex in the City, but it's really ultimately about female friendship. That's really what it's about. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. Yeah. And I think it's it's the there's I think Carter is a Chris Carter was aware of this and was trying to, to work against it. You know? I agree. Because um, you see a lot of this is like reflected in the way Scully is treated by the not Skinner and the higher ups and stuff. Um, In this, in the pilot episode, like they're patronizing toward her. I love that moment where she just sort of turns it on their head. Like, Oh, by the way, I found this. I say, I saved this alien technology. What? (laughs) And then walks out such a power. So power Uh, move. And then they have to bury it, right? The final scene is him burying it in the archives of. Yeah, it's such a classic scene. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's the same as as like the notes that Fox would inevitably give, because it's a, it was not too far away from this is when 
there's okay so the simpsons did it first right um there's i don't know what in the simpsons it is but it's a line that is stuck with me for i don't know 30 years at this point marge going fox became a hardcore porn channel so so slowly that you hardly even <laughs> noticed and 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 like it's that's the same mentality so i think carter had that the expectation of the, of the channel that they were being broadcast on in the back of his mind. And I, I want to say that the notes probably said, we need cupcake here. And he said, fine, I'll give you cupcake, but only because it allows emotional intimacy. Right. right. It was very clear to me that Chris Carter, um, because of the subsequent episodes, just that was going to be it. And then the rest of it was a very subtle, and I thought beautifully done, sexual tension. Very subtle, though, compared to a typical male-female, you know, pairing. Yeah, this was not moonlighting. Right. And Now, that's not to say moonlighting is perfect. Right. Moonlighting is amazing, and I'm so glad it's streaming now, but it is the opposite yeah. of subtle. Right. And, and think about and me as somebody who's watching it. As a single woman, I'm watching the show. Um, and I, and I'm, representation is important. And I'm, I'm thinking you can have professional relationship with a man where it's not about him ogling you or, you know, and, and, yeah. and that was really important too. That's a huge part of the thing for me. Yeah. Like the nature, their, their relationship progresses in an almost, um, realistic, almost way, realistic. Despite yeah. The, yeah. Despite the fact that they're surrounded by monsters and aliens and vast, conspiracies like they they fall in love partially because they're around each other all they, the time but they're forced they're to friends like, first they're, they're, they're yeah they're friends they rescue each other rely on yeah. each other they, yeah they quickly learn they can trust each other and they can respect each other and then everything follows only because that trust and respect was the thing that they established immediately it's very true yeah. so i feel i feel less worried about the cupcake Mostly because hardcore porn um, Fox probably demanded it. And and the best we got was like the top of her under. That's true. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll give them a pass on that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, and just, just for the record, Lori, lines that have stuck in my head from The Simpsons for 30 years. One of them, one of them came into my mind watching the pilot of the X Files, and it's it's when yeah. the you know how there's alien characters in The Simpsons, that, yeah, oh yeah, the aliens come down and they're hovering over um, Homer Simpson, and he like turns around and kind of shoves his ass up in the air, and the aliens go, "Stop! We have reached the limits of what anal probing can teach us." <laughs> <laughs> I nearly oh. peed my pants the first time I hear that. And every time I think about it, I just, uh, you know, oh. so. Thank you, Simpsons. Yes, thank you, Simpsons. Anything else about the pilot that, that you wanted to talk about or or about um, her development one, as a character? One thing that I noticed um, watching it this time that it absolutely would not have occurred to, to me as a, as a kid. So, like. Scully's very first explanation of, of that dirt, that, that stuff she finds on the, the forest floor and immediately knows is not 
just dirt. I mean, it just looked like dirt. Yeah, what? that it's ash. Her, yeah, her first explanation of this stuff is that it's some sort of sacrifice, right? That the kids must have been in a cult. I mean, you have yeah. you have Scully going for satanic panic. Satanic panic. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, is this a is this a joke about the FBI? Because it's near enough for when like the actual satanic panic freakout was happening, but it's got some distance, and it's I, I guess subtle. But it, is she that much of like a a company stooge that she's just towing the line still? Huh. What do you think about that, Marie? I d- I hadn't even noticed that uh, detail. That's a good point. It, it's when you think about how um, the occult comes up later in the series. I guess it's a very early indication of uh, Scully's expertise on all things paranormal, but from the like logical scientific point of view. Yes. Yeah, so she's not just medically trained. She yeah. she has other, th- you know, and I and I guess that's also it's like FBI is going to be suspicious of. Because um, wh- whenever Mulder brings up his paranormal explanations, she always has the specific jargon for debunking them in scientific terms. Yes, yeah, and then yeah, because she's familiar with it. She's not. She's it, it, he's not coming up with stuff out of the blue at her. But she's she's interested in the spooky stuff, but also just assumes there's a rational yeah. explanation for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is rational to explain things as kind of human um, misdeeds, right? Uh, you know, like what are those kids doing out there and people are getting killed? Well, it, it's not unusual to then go to like satanic rituals or something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's a lot of is your rational. Well, no, I think something's well, wrong. But, but well, how else are you going to explain all these people from the class of 1989, right? Dying, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. not, it's not so weird because it involves so much weird death, you know, that she would go to that. But I see your point. Yeah. Anything else that we were missing about the pilot before we go on to the question of her development of this the development of scully's character over time i'm itching to talk about later scully. yeah yeah let's talk about later scully go for it the i did i didn't realize that, um that it was as prominent in this uh that scully's cross shows up like she's wearing it even now they don't really talk about mm-hmm. it you know but it's it's there as a part of her character from the very beginning mm-hmm. that She's a skeptic about aliens, but she is a believer. And then she's Catholic mm-hmm. of all things, which I, I find really fascinating. And that's something that I really appreciated when I was a kid, because like the church I grew up in is a Methodist church, super mainline Protestant. Um, and, you know, it was early 90s. So there was a lot of like praise band music uh-huh. and um, it's not my jam. And like, I I'd had conversations with my youth pastors about, like, yeah, I don't close my eyes and raise my hands. That is not how I talk to Jesus. Like, um, I ask a lot of questions. And being told, yeah, yeah, you can ask questions. You don't have to be this, like, charismatic, 
teenager, like, I'm very charismatic, but, like, religiously charismatic in order to be uh, faithful. And then seeing, like, Scully, who is rational and scientific, but also a believer, I was like, bump, 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 my little heart just beating Mm -hmm. hard. That was a representation that mattered Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Me too. Exactly, yeah. And it just adds such depth and complexity to her character as the show progresses and we have a little more explanation uh, exploration of her faith and her spirituality it adds a lot of nuance to that contrast with Mulder that we've been talking about because it's always so you know such a great episode whenever there's a case where Scully is the one who wants to believe in the face of Mulder's skepticism Um, so like one of the early episodes where this happens is uh, the season one episode 13 called titled beyond the sea a classic episode where scully wants to believe in um this psychic spirit channeling yes uh death row inmate who claims he can give her his message from her recently deceased father but Mulder is convinced that it's a sham so we have that sort of reversal of their typical dynamic set up uh, pretty early on in the series but um her Catholic faith, that's just such an interesting part of her character. It really starts getting explored, I think, first in um, the episode Revelations, which is uh, season three, episode 11. And it's actually one of the relatively few X-Files episodes that was written by a woman, written by Kim Newton. Oh, interesting. Um, so I did rewatch that episode at the Can suggestion. Can you talk about that? Of, yeah, yeah I, I rewatched it at the suggestion of my sibling Brittany, who pointed out, "Oh, this was an episode where um, Scully is interested in these appearances of of things that look like it looks like there might be saints going on. It looks like there might be stigmata. There uh-huh. are these miraculous things going on, and Mulder is completely scornful." of what she's talking about. So there's a one scene in particular that stands out where Scully is performing an autopsy, which usually her autopsy scenes are where she's, you know, most logical and scientific yes. and rejecting the paranormal. But in this case with the autopsy scene, she's uh, noticing that the body, maybe the body of a saint is not decomposing and it smells like flowers. That's right. Yeah. Mulder comes in and he won't listen to her at all. And she grows frustrated with him and for, she says, believing in everything else, but not this. Um, so that's just an inter- one of those episodes where it has that interesting reversal in their dynamic. And yeah. that's the sort of thing that um, having that uh, religious aspect of her character just helps in terms of the character development and her uh, relationship with Mulder and makes the show all that more interesting. Yeah, and you could argue that 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 episode was just begging to be written from the start, right? Because Catholicism is the part of Christianity that has, for better or for worse or accurate or not, been associated with superstition, right? the magical arts and things like you're believing in magic, right? That that's not the typical thing that's said about Protestants, right? No, <laughs> no. It's hard to have an occult when you're an iconoclast. Yes, correct. Correct. And so the fact that she would um, find some conflict with that, oh, you know, but wait, Catholic faith does believe in things that actually happen to the saints that are kind of weird, you know, um, and will still kind of hold that they literally happened. 
and she's in a moment where she's kind of has has that has to have that tested a little bit, you know. And you, you get the sense that she went to some CCD, you know. I was raised Catholic, so that's uh, that's something. You know, that's your Sunday school basically. Uh-huh. You know? And I had a um, grandmother who was very, very Catholic, um, and my dad's my dad's mom, and she just had this kind of, you know, weird kind of superstitious edge to, and it's kind of hard to explain, but partly because I became a Christian through a parachurch church organization that was very evangelical and therefore anti-Catholic, right? So it, it was the way that things were characterized that became my lens through which I saw her. But now that I'm older, I'm like, you know, yeah, there still was some just weird edgy stuff in here, you know? Yeah, there's there's a Venn diagram that's um, kind of a circle of, like, witchy old ladies and, like, Catholics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, well, as, as someone who's, you know, mainline Protestant all the way, um, there is an appeal to... The, not just the pomp and circumstance, but the mystery, mystery that comes yeah. with with like hardcore Catholicism and lore and all mm-hmm. of all of the the ritual. It's mm-hmm. it's very attractive mm-hmm. and yeah, and it also lends itself well to really wild right. stories. Think about it: transubstantiation, right? Could be an X file. Yeah. Um, when I was in second grade and I was at a Catholic school you know, with the Catholic uniform, you know, all this stuff. I'm talking like First Communion, the whole thing. My, I remember before our First Communion that the nun who was my second grade teacher, this is just left an indelible mark on me, told a story about how some boy and his First Communion took the wafer and took it to the back and cracked it open and, and blood gushed out. Okay, just just imagine <laughs> Just imagine me <laughs> as a second grader. Going, what? <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, but but that right because transubstantiation. If you really believe that this is the the body and blood of Christ, right? That ontologically that, then it, it's going yeah. to produce some kind of quirky stories like that that people like this nun thought were important to use to scare, and she might have even believed it. But it found it important to scare, you know, these little girls and boys into submission for their first communion. Yeah. The Methodism uses a lot of different things yes. to scare you. Most of it is um, public speaking <laughs> and the idea of being uh, noticed by your neighbors. <laughs> but, you just have different scare yeah, tactics, right? Yeah. 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 But I think I think what's important about having Scully as a Catholic is um, that openness to mystery, that openness to um, not being able to answer everything and finding mis- that mystery beautiful right. and and comforting because you can't, like, if you have to have certainty in all things, you don't really have That's faith. Right. That's right. And, and reveling in the, well, I don't, I don't know, maybe... That that's a beautiful aspect of faith, yes. and to have that in a character that is simultaneously rational and 
pragmatic is and a woman in one it's a really it's it's a really clever move on the part of the writers but it's also um i think a testament to the the possibility of faith and and how you can be a believer without being shut down to the unknown you don't have to be dogmatic to have a dogma well not only that it's just as you said laurie i think your your comments here are very astute what it's showing is that the conflict between the sort of logical science-oriented mind and Catholicism is centered around this kind of um, notion with scientism. I'm not talking about science, but scientism, that the, yeah. the world is controllable, that we can, you know, we can explain all phenomenon that doesn't make any sense eventually with science. And it's just the, you know, the alleviation ultimately of contingency, but also, you know, mystery, just any idea of something bigger than science. And so it is a brilliant move uh, to have her be the one that does that. And being a woman, of course, but also uh, being a person of faith and recognizing that she has to let go of certain aspects of that scientific rationalism or naturalism or whatever uh, to make sense of some things. Um, It's so funny because I just met the sociologist Hartmut Rosa, who wrote a book called The Uncontrollability of the World. And his basic thesis is that modern modernity is this effort to control the world through science and technology, uh, you know, control time, control everything. And that these things, this attitude works at cross purposes with what he calls resonance or the possibilities for resonance, the possibility of actually being moved by an experience in your, in the world, right. To actually have, to feel alive, to feel, have a resonant experience. Whoa. Right. Doesn't that fit perfectly? Yeah. 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 It's, you have to be willing to have a question lingered to have it over you in order to feel awe. Yes. And yeah, yeah, that's one thing that I really like. I mean, a lot of things I really like about the show, but one thing that I like about the way the show handles gender is you would expect Mulder to have that scientist modernist Mm -hmm. approach, but he's, he's, he's a wackadoo. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, 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 he's out there, man. He wants to believe. He's not, he wants to believe. So he's got kind of that um, feminine ability to tap into the unknown. But he also, like, sometimes he's a condescending jerk. But, um, like, he's also compassionate. And, and so it's, it's like when Scully comes to him with her mosquito bites, like, he mocks her just a little but bit. Not a lot. But to relieve yeah, her, yeah. you know, to, to, to break the tension. And then the, the scene cuts and he's immediately opening up about Samantha. That's true. So, and you know what? He's not unkind to her. He could mock her. He, they, they could have yeah. set up a completely different kind of relationship, but they didn't. That's a really good point. Yeah, to bring it back to the Simpsons, he could have Nelson her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a kindness from the beginning. Uh, she she yeah. is kind to him and like kindly, kindly mocking him, his weirdnesses, the way she laughs. She laughs right out loud at him. At one point in the pilot, I remember, um, but she never she's never unkind through the whole series. Yeah, um, it's such an immediate trust that they have. Yeah, which is really well done. That's hard to do. Yeah, really hard to do. 
very impressive. And it it just makes the whole like dissolving of the narrative later more depressing because there's yeah because it's so good it's so in potential the is just so great for something else right yeah like if so if you could go out on like postmodern Prometheus you know ride that share high somehow end there yeah i know i know that would have been perfect you know it's funny talking about her catholic faith um we did read this article for this show called uh why the x-files scully is still so important and this was back in 2016 by caitlin flynn and i wanted to read a little bit of quote from her for because this is really actually was very interesting to me that she said she put it this way um here we go. Scully isn't a conventional. This is a this is a, a quote from Caitlin Flynn. Scully isn't a conventional Catholic in the sense that she dutifully attends church every week. She defines the faith for herself, and her spirituality evolves along with her character. This is me saying that's kind of like a typically you know postmodern way to describe what she's doing. Like Mulder, she wants to believe, but she doesn't do so blindly. Scully's faith is also symbolic throughout the show. While she's missing, Mulder wears her cross as a talisman and then puts it back on her when she's in the hospital recovering. In the series finale, the two discuss what they want to believe, and one of the final shots shows Mulder reaching for her necklace. Then she writes this, I never did make my confirmation, but because of Scully, I thought twice and didn't reject faith altogether. Did you hear that? Instead, yeah, that's, that's wild. instead, I acknowledge yeah. that while I have issues with aspects of the Catholic Church, I could still be in touch with my own feminist form of spirituality that is both deeply important and personal to me. That's a stunning, because of Scully, I thought twice. Oh. And, you know, I mean, so much of the work that I do in um, my research right now has to do with the power of the imagination, not of the writer, but of the reader, the ability that we have as readers or viewers or whatever to imagine different possibilities for us, like it's essential. We can't become something if we can't imagine it. And mm-hmm. so much of that statement made me realize there's so much at stake, you know, for for people. You have to be able to imagine uh, yourself as a woman who's rational, logical, scientist and medical doctor, but I can still be a Christian. You know, I can still this is still possible. This doesn't have to be, you know, one or the other. Yeah, it's so important. God works in mysterious ways. Indeed he does. Right? Yeah. So, Scully effect. Anything else you guys want to say about the Scully effect? I, uh, I need to come clean. I don't tell people this very much. Um, I mostly leave it out and let them pick it up through context clues. But um, so the Scully effect is that a bunch of young women watch the show and want to become scientists, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I started my higher education career going. I have a chemistry degree because I was going to go to med school to become a forensic pathologist specifically because of Dana Scully. And I, wow. I, 
Yeah, I still love that kind of science, and I think I would have been really great at lab work, and I have no problem with, like, you know, corpses and stuff. Um, but I did a hard swerve into film school instead, and uh, that's probably the right choice. But I am living proof that the Scully effect is real. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, I think of you as a humanities person, you know, as a, right, that yeah. you are. Yeah. And the the fact that you wow that is a stunning <laughs> yeah that's amazing <laughs> yeah the there was also briefly and I while I was uh, applying to colleges that yeah the goal was to teach at Quantico see you had an FBI effect too yeah you know, you yeah had a... I, I I jumped I jumped cop ship real fast yeah um, lingered a little longer in the sciences uh, but then quickly realized that. Um, I, I I was called for something different. Yeah. See, for me, it was all like her having a gun. I mean, oh, I mean gross. you know, yeah. and knowing how to use it and not being afraid. Right. She wasn't. She wasn't afraid. She was able to go into yeah. places and not be afraid. Yeah. Uh, the gun was always going to be a problem for me because I, I hate them uh-huh. so much. Despite the fact that, like, so on my thirtieth birthday, um, I had this list of thirty things. I'd never done before. Actually, there were only eight because I couldn't think of things that I hadn't done before. Wow. One of them. <laughs> That's Katie a little scary, Lori. Katie Grabs was like, oh, you should, because we've been friends for that long. She's like, oh, you should eat that live octopus. I'm like, yeah, I already have. Um, so one of the things was to, to fire a gun. And um, a friend of ours, he made me sit down and watch this gun training video. I I don't know who I was talking to. I think I was talking to Jay in this, maybe in the last episode. So if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry, listeners, but it's on my brain. Um, so maybe made me watch this major dad led uh, gun safety video. And then we took me to a, a shooting range and turns out I'm a really exceptional shot. So like the Dana Scully channel is still there, there if, if, with my soul, though I find guns to be giant squee. They don't do any, like, they have one job. I don't do unitaskers, people. Got it. Well, it's funny, because I don't, I have since changed my own views about gun control and guns in general. But ironically, I also, and this is a probably subject for another podcast, went to Hillsdale College because my dad wanted me to go there for the Ladies for Liberty gun camp. Oh, wow. I'm not kidding. So... You know, this was not my idea. I, he had tried to do get my mom and my sister and me to go for, for three years. I have had excuses. And then finally my husband says, well, why don't you just go and then write about it? And I was like, okay. And boy, do I have a lot of things to write if I ever can find the time to write it. <laughs> <laughs> but there was not the gun so much per se as what it meant, right? Like the authority of somebody who was in there, who was not afraid, who was, you know, um, just appealed to me. And I, I just never, I, I, I just had never seen a character. I, I was too afraid at that time to watch Silence of the Lambs, but it had the same effect on me. You know, mm-hmm. Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. But yeah. I, at that time, I was too terrified to watch it. I couldn't watch. It's kind of funny because now I have a kind of horror film watching streak. But at the t- that time in my life, I just. I would have like nightmares for weeks if I watched something like that, you know, the, when I was younger, because I had just this vivid imagination and then I got jaded and 
I don't know. <laughs> now you're dead inside. And everything's fine. Now I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go watch Hostel. Thanks a lot. <laughs> There's actually some truth to that. My husband's like, wait, you're watching the Saw movies? I'm like, yeah. You know. Some of those are pretty <laughs> Well, as a, as a dyed-in-the-wool horror nerd from, like, youth, I... I could say, yeah, there's a lot of synergy between Clarice and, and Dana and totally like silence of the lambs is a deeply flawed and deeply troubling uh, movie for a lot of respects, particularly about the way that that Jamie gum is handled. Um, It makes Mm. me very uncomfortable now watching um, any of the Buffalo bill scenes. Oh gosh. Yes. But Clarice as a character and Jodie Foster as an actor. Oh, yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. So, so powerful, and, and like that also imprinted on on young young baby Laurie, mm-hmm. perhaps in a negative way. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll watch Hannibal while I'm eating dinner, like the TV show. So, um, it, yeah, it. I, when I watch Sweeney Todd, I, I leave the theater hungry. So I, I'm, I've got a skewed sense of. Oh man, I wish we lived program. closer together because now I know who I'd go to horror movies with. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you my list of of movies that I watched during spooky season. Um, yeah, please do because I yeah. do kind of run out of when I'm always trying to find good ones. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, her character. It for me, it's also I think part of the reason why the horror films appeal, right, is that you kind of want to be scared, and you kind of want to be scared so that you're not scared. And for me, watching somebody like uh, Clarice not be afraid, or at least somehow manage her fear, yes, it's amazing to me. It was just so significant to me. In the same way, you know, Dana Scully's that way too. It's like she just goes into situations. And I associated that with being in the FBI, right? So it was appealing to me. And I thought about applying. I did. I actually thought it. Plus, I hated teaching high school, so I would have done anything <laughs> to get out of it. So what about you, Marie? Do you have any Scully effect uh, thoughts? Well, I didn't have the Scully effect so much. I didn't really <laughs> consider that career path. Um, but reading this article and seeing uh, this account of like how how important this character was as a role model for so many people. It just stood out to me how it it does seem a little unfortunate that there are so few episodes written by women in this show that she is such a great character and she perhaps could have been even a greater character with more um, writing and directing from women um, creating this character. Right, if you had Greta Gerwig doing it or something. Yeah, because I think it's a, something like only 11 episodes out of 218. Oh, I by didn't women, know that. Wow. And something like five directed by women. I mean, it's not it's not great uh, statistics in terms wow. of the women behind the scenes for the creation of the characters. And, yeah. Well, and then not um, to mention the, the inadequacy, the, the, the pay difference between, you know, Anderson and Duchovny. Yeah, not even being uncovered for for some time after that. It's just unbelievable, right? Well, I mean, it was funny because when I was looking this up too, there's a quote from Jillian Anderson on the Scully effect, and she says this: "We got a lot of letters all the time, and I was told quite frequently by girls who were going into the medical world or the science world or the FBI world or other worlds that I reigned that they were pursuing those pursuits because of the character of Scully." And I said, "Yay!" 
But, you know, there is a difference. There is a disconnect between Jillian Anderson and Scully. Make no mistake about it. Um, <laughs> but anyway. All right. Well, is there anything else we haven't talked about that we want to talk about before we close off here? I, want, I just want to officially on the record that the episode Home is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Which one is that? Oh, it's Home. It's the... It's the yeah. <laughs> it's the inbred cannibal family. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that one. Oh. Yeah. For Ooh. sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yes, I watch a lot of horror. I'm not revisiting that episode. It is brilliant and is beautifully done. And it, it, I'm uncomfortable now. Like, just wow. thinking about it. It's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I loved, I loved the giant genre Sorry, my my mouth got ahead of me. Giant genre swerves that the show is is capable of. Yes, you know? like, it, yes, yes. Like, just look at it, like home and postmodern Prometheus. Could, yeah, can you imagine how do those exist in the same universe? And it, well, and in the mid nineties, right? Like the or when would that have been? Maybe early two thousands. But still, that that genre genre swerving. That's a hard thing to say for the record. Yeah. Um, did not really, it wasn't that big then as it is now. No, no. You have to kind of look to, frankly, French film for people to say, genre, I do what yeah. I want. And like every, there's, the American broadcast system was too stringent. Maybe it was being on Friday nights on a channel no one was watching and just barely getting by that they they're like screw it man we can do what we want we can do what we want yeah and they did they did and you know you know when you think about it the original star trek did a little bit of that right you know when they would in some ways go and do like when they got tired of doing all the space stuff and they would do like the gangster stuff or whatever but it was just a this a very small version of what they would then later do in the more in the X Files. But a little bit of that. Stretch your wings somehow. Yeah. Well, you know, just just, just yeah. It'd be a little campy on purpose, right? Yeah. Um and yeah, and they and they got away with some funny, funny scenes actually as a result. Speaking of the lone gunman. Oh, Oh yeah, the lone gunman is a whole trope in there. Yeah, yeah. they were super well, fun, weren't they? They were a delight. Yeah, fantastic. Well, anything else? I mean, I could just sit here and, and name episodes until the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't ever remember the titles of them. I will remember them all. In terms of what happens, but oh, yeah. the, the titles will escape me because you got to understand. I first watched them when I didn't even have a VCR, so it'd be like it's Friday night. I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna watch these, you know? Yeah. So because I have no life, because <laughs> has completely exhausted me, and I'm a nerd. So there's that. All right. So shall we move on to move passing on? Sure. All right. So Lori, why don't you pass on first? So I haven't mentioned the name of it, but I have briefly 
briefly introduce the idea of the very first thing that I saw that was not Scully, like Gillian Anderson as an actor, Ooh. but after I had met Scully, um, and it it messed my head up, but in a really good way. So it's Terrence Davies' um, adapt- film adaptation of The House of Mirth. Yeah, I love that film. I really it like is, her in that. Yeah, oh, it's so gorgeous, and she's so different she's from so Scully. But she's so British. You know, she has a perfect British accent because she is English, and a perfect American accent. She can play them both. Yeah, it's it's astounding. She she's an incredibly talented actor. She really is. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. So I say, people go watch The House of Mirth. Plus, it's Edith Wharton. What about you, Marie? Uh, well, I think I'll recommend another show that's just as nostalgic for me as The X-Files. It also started in 1993. It's called Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. It's completely different from The X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it was another staple of my childhood viewing on those VHS tapes. And um, it's also one, I mean, it's hokey and it's warm-hearted comedy, family-friendly action. Um, but it's also one that has a strong female character with uh, Lois Lane. Um, like, There's no question with her that uh, there's nothing strange about a woman being this hard-hitting prize-winning investigative journalist. Um, and she also has a little bit of a gender reversal dynamic with Clark in the show as he's the more emotional one when it comes to like their professional uh, work. So uh, it's a really fun show. Um, and I think just to offer uh, another recommendation as well, um, I'll recommend a brief video essay by Melanie Robson about Dana Scully. It's titled Hero or Victim, Dana Scully's Complex Empowerment in the X-Files. And we'll Ooh. link it in the show notes. But it um, goes into some of the dynamic I mentioned of how Scully is such an empowered character, but also um, there's this tension with her being a victim or an object in parts. And uh, part of Robson's argument is that we have to locate some of her the, the complexity of her agency and the way that the character fights back against that victimization uh, in her own right. So um, we'll put that up in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to watch that. Uh, and Well, I'm just going to keep with the theme of recommending early 90s stuff by, um, and I think we should probably do a podcast on this, but Prime Suspect uh, with Helen oh. Mirren, you know, playing Jane Tennyson, 1991 and 1996 was the first uh, five series. And then she apparently left the role because she didn't want to be typecasted, right? And then she returned to play it again in 2003, I think it was. I that, That's just good stuff, you know. Uh, unfortunately, it's only streaming on BritBox that I could see because when I thought about that, I was like, oh, man, I want to I watch that again. That, and I did not see it in the early 90s. I didn't see it until I think a, until she had played the character again. And then I was like, let's go back and watch the other ones. And, and I was like, wow, you know, this is good stuff. Yeah, because PBS started to, to broadcast the second take of them where they didn't really have the first as consistently. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we went and then just watched it all. And it was like, this is so good. 
All right. Well, those are great recommendations. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We would definitely love to hear from you. If you have a topic or a reading recommendation for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or the network's Twitter handle at CH Radio Network. And of course, check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog, which is christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. For Marie and Lori, I'm Christina Bieber-Lake. Tune in in two weeks when we will discuss. Does anybody know what we're discussing in two weeks? I think we're at the end of our season. Nope. <laughs> so uh, whatever we discuss next will be news to me. But until then, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things of love.